Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Slammer Bros. We we're still doing this. Like this morning, I got us on everywhere. We're on Amazon. We're on Apple. We're on Google. We're submitted to Spotify. We are literally every single place that you can get uh, your podcast now. So just search the Slammer Bros and you'll find us. And if you don't find us, tell us on chat and we will fix it. Steve Slammer is with us again as always. My co-host, brother, kayfabe best friend. <laughs> How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good. I'm glad to see that we're keeping it kayfabe. You know, that, that's good. Also glad to see that uh, apparently you're getting us everywhere. I think the only place that we're not right now is the moon. We'll get there, though. Not the safe moon, not the uh, not the altcoin that uh, turned $150 into 30 No, 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 no. The actual moon. So, yeah, man, that's the thing. What I tell people about cryptocurrency, do not fall for FOMO. Don't fall for FOMO. Any FOMO bet I ever made, and FOMO stands for fear of missing out, people. That's with an F. Do not ban me. Do not kick me off of Twitter again. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, in all, in all seriousness, it's, uh, it's just like, uh, yeah, you got people who like, yeah, I'm going to get rich quick. If I just put $500 into this thing, you know, it's a fraction of a penny. If it goes up to a full penny, I'll be a billionaire. I'm like, well, what happens if everybody cashes out at the same time? Because that's what's gonna happen. Like, people don't people don't like extend their logic, but a lot of FOMO stuff. It all happened with Dogecoin and Elon Musk and all that crap. I should probably bring Jordan Spence on here. He's like a, a chief marketing officer of a crypto wallet. He can explain these things better than I can. But yeah, Safe Moon. Well, that, that was well, a. That, that would be good to have him on because I'm always looking to diversify my crypto portfolio. 100%, man. Yeah, I always uh, talk to people who know what they're doing. Uh, one, th- Okay, here's a free one for you. Polygon. That's or It's Polymatic. That's a good one. So what they do is they create a technology that makes it cheaper to buy Ethereum. So the reason why Ethereum is not at Bitcoin level right now is because it's so expensive. So I'm investing in the guys who are making it easier for Ethereum because I got in at like 40 cents and they're at about a dollar 15 now. So Ooh, nice. that was a good that was a good buy. A little triple up there. Absolutely. Mm. So, you know what? I I have to say cuz I know we're going to have our criticisms of uh, the Smackdown this week, but I have to start by saying at least the main event didn't fucking piss down my mouth this week. At least the main event gave me an action-packed match. Uh, it was it was a it was a double cross that almost that actually got me for once. Like I didn't actually see that double cross because they were such a good team together. But we'll get into that. But yeah, I was actually that there was some stupid shenanigans on SmackDown. But I would say out of the three main events we were subjected to this week. SmackDown was not the worst. There were no exploding light tubes, so that that was a start. And there was no almost cancellation of a Domino's Pizza sponsorship of a wrestling program, so that was a plus too. Yep, so no cancellation of Domino's Pizza. Oh, they didn't bury a champion uh, prior to happening. They actually created a legitimate heel for their champion to work Mm -hmm. with, so that was good. Um, 
Yeah, so I have to say, like, the main event did it for me. Um, you know what didn't do it for me? Uh, Baron Corbin freaking <laughs> talking about his erectile dysfunction and being broke while he yeah. is hired by the biggest wrestling company in the world. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's funny because we, we talked about uh, the Roman Reigns missionary position promo and how... Yeah. Uh, WWE and reposting the promo they had cut out the missionary line now it feels like they've gone all in because not only was it re-referenced in the promo that we'll talk about in a little bit on this show but then they to your point they have Baron Corbin out there talking about he can't perform with his wife and I'm just sitting here going okay I mean I'm back but it, it just didn't flow right you know what I mean it was it was like it was clearly scripted. They clearly had to stay within certain boundaries. Uh, Cena, I think, is funny, but I don't think he's. I think he's funny when he has a couple of takes because he was great in cock blockers. But I think, like, if you can edit him, give feed him some lines, and go from there, I think it's better. You know, you know, it's funny because for, for those who are watching or hopefully one day when we have a million subscribers and somebody's going back and looking at some of our older stuff, um, you know, I have a feeling for this show, ultimately at the end of the day, we're going to agree about the show itself, but I get the feeling that we're going to be a little different when it comes to individual segments, just based on how this conversation is going. And no, we don't really talk about this stuff. Like occasionally we'll shoot each other a message while it's happening in real time, but we try to just leave it for an actual conversation while we're doing this. So I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually intrigued based on a couple of things that you've said already to get into the meat of this. However, with that said, you, sir, are the host with the most, so you you drive us away. You are the navigator, sir. No, you know what? I wanted to keep this one a little bit more free-flowy than we were last time, mm-hmm. so let's just jump right into it. What was what were a couple things that I just said that uh, that piqued your interest? Let's let's start from there. Well, for me, I saw I saw the heel turn in the main event coming. Okay. Um, Belair. Bianca Belair. So you know, full disclosure, I've never really been into the Bianca Belair character. Um, there's just something about it that that just doesn't hit with me. I can see why it does with other people. So you know, and she's fine in the role that she's playing, but she had no dance partner for SummerSlam, and unless they were going to give her a Zelina Vega or a Carmella, which they already did, um, she needed somebody. They clearly weren't going to turn her heel, and as soon as Sasha came back to make the save during the the interview. And then they announced the main event. By the way, side note, it intrigues me how they, they continue to run these wrestling programs but never have a predetermined main event. They're always making up the main event during the show. Imagine, yeah. if, imagine if people just didn't attack each other. I mean, they'd just you know, end with Seth Rollins' promo and that'd be it. Imagine if pro wrestling was just like Canada for a second, eh? And everybody, <laughs> no, one, no one got in any arguments, fights, or anything. And they were just like... That would actually be a funny segment if so. If everybody was just getting along for one match for one night and just said, uh, "Hey, what's the main event?" <laughs> we don't know. Usually, uh, you fight. <laughs> we're just gonna shake hands and wish each other luck. They would. Oh, you know, they would do something silly. They would probably be like, "Well, I guess we'll just have a." How many wrestlers do we have on the wrestling in here now? Uh, ninety-four. Uh, yes, a ninety-four man Royal Rumble. <laughs> 
here we go. <laughs> well, I think the good the good news coming out of SmackDown is that the the and I know we've said it in the last couple of shows, but SummerSlam weekend is shaping up probably to be the biggest wrestling weekend in the last couple of years. And that includes previous WrestleMania weekends because between the the pending debuts in WWE that are going to happen that Friday, you have SummerSlam on Saturday, and that's shaping up to be a good-looking show as well. Out in Las Vegas, we'll be there. And then you have TakeOver 36 on Sunday, which is looking like it's going to be a monster show if you're, if you're into NXT. That Friday, Saturday, Sunday is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm ridiculously excited for it, not just because I get to see my, my bro and we get to go see SummerSlam live, but like I said, just every from Friday through Sunday, it's just going to be a, a wrestling extravaganza, and I think it's going to be one that changes the landscape of, of pro wrestling for the next couple of months and, and probably the next couple of years. I agree, because, I mean, if you take a look at what's really going to go down, I mean... I have a feeling that if AEW somehow, some way, I don't expect the organization to do anything right, but if they just let, if they just let CM Punk and Daniel Bryan do what they do, and just kind of and just let them shape their own stories and kind of just do their own thing while respecting the other guys in the locker room, I think I think we will finally have the Pepsi to WWE's Coke. I think that's what's in the that's what's in the making there for me from what I see. If they don't do any more dumbass death matches, if if losing a little bit of money will teach them a lesson and be like, okay, hey, if TNT gives them a, a big enough slap on the wrist to keep dumbass things like they did last time from happening again, it's their time to be Pepsi, in my opinion, if they can pull it off. I completely agree, and I think if you look at the ratings, you know, I was looking at the ratings coming out of SmackDown, and you had SmackDown had about 1.9 million viewers, mm -hmm. and AEW Dynamite on Wednesday had about 1.1 million. Yeah. The the gap between the two in terms of viewership and, and, and ratings is not that big. The, the problem is going to be AEW needs to capitalize on what they're about to invest money in, which is, you know, the aforementioned individuals that are coming in. And if they do that properly, they can ride that wave and possibly start getting into that, that WWE level of ratings if they can just stop with the silliness, have some consistent, logical storytelling. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as much as, we, as much as we might have dumped on the show, if you can turn your brain off, Dynamite is a, it's an exciting, it's a fun show to watch. I right? agree. It, but it requires yeah. you to completely turn off your brain and not expect any kind of logic with what you say, <laughs> which is which is common to oh, every wrestling show that we watch. And we'll talk all about logic in a little bit when it comes to the SmackDown. But um, you know, it, it's it's an exciting time, like I said, and and it's going to be more exciting from the AEW standpoint to see can they ride this momentum into something that will, you know, I said it in a previous show, recreate that feeling of the the. It's never going to be the Monday Night Wars, but but create that feeling that you know there's an actual competition going on. I agree, and I think that that will only make the WWE product better. Is if Vince, because Vince McMahon and that whole company works better when they got somebody on their heels, when they actually feel like there's somebody who could potentially be better than they are, then they'll work better. Now, as we've said a million times, it's not like. TV ratings equates to, to business success anymore. 
uh, especially if you're the WWE when you have Peacock, you have the Disney deal, you you've got you've got billions of dollars worth of revenue locked down for the next 10 years as a company, you're fine. But I have a feeling that within that 75-year-old man known as Vince McMahon, if if they if it gets close or if they lose to the ratings to AEW, that's when they're fine that's when I hope there's finally going to be a soul-searching moment within the company. Cuz when you cuz when you're constantly winning, it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I know what we're doing may not be great, but we're winning. We have better ratings. We're making all this money. But if you get smacked in the face and you're all of a sudden people aren't picking up buying what you're selling anymore and there's a threat that one of those contracts could go to AEW, that's when that's when things are going to change. So, I'm hoping I'm hoping this will be Pepsi, man. I really do. Well, the the other part is going to be how AEW can can control itself to a degree and and start fitting all these pieces together because, you know, to change gears slightly for a moment, the big news coming out of this weekend was the release of Bray Wyatt by the WWE. Yes. So, you know, Bray Wyatt, uh, I got to admit that that one stunned me. Yeah. Uh, my understanding was that he was on his way back to, to television this month. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, Vince McMahon and, and, you know, whether he can can write the ship over there or, or, you know, establish some type of vision with a competition going on. But I think what we're seeing is is this this executive that they hired, Nick Khan, yeah. WWE, apparently these releases, all the releases Aleister Black they had, they released Braun Strowman and apparently Bray Wyatt also was all, he's been he's being given a lot of latitude to make these types of releases. So now you're you're releasing all this talent. And AEW, you know, as soon as somebody gets released, my immediate reaction is, oh, they'd be great on AEW. They'd be great on AEW. Yeah. But then if AEW is signing all of this released WWE talent, do they run the risk of just being viewed as WWE light? Exactly. You know, it's it's it was different during the Monday Night Wars because you had people that were being lured away. Yeah. Right? This is just, you know... Th- Alistair Black is in AEW because WWE didn't want him anymore. They cut him. If yeah. Ray Wyatt ends up there, it's same thing. The reason why Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, and CM Punk are such a big deal is not just because of their name value. It's because they were free agents, and they are, and in the case of Punk coming out of a seven-year retirement, they're electing to go there. Yes. So AEW, you know, between that mix and picking the right talent to bring in, and then figuring out the correct, you know, chemical formula, if you will, on how to get all these pieces to interact with each other and make it into something that's coherent, it makes sense, and keeps the fun factor that, that keeps that, that crowd engaged. Yeah. You know, that, that's going to be their challenge. And if they can do that, I think WWE will have some actual competition on their hands, no matter what Vince or Nick Khan have to say about it. No, I completely agree there. Um... No, I think that's that's the thing because the AEW is the the brand that they've built right now is they got a lot of people who like to watch cool stuff. It's like wow, this this looks cool. Can I do it? But I think if that crowd is just given a little bit of logic with the coolness factor that they've grown accustomed to, like you find a way to fuse that, like god damn, that'd be amazing. And what I would do with uh, with the guy who um, with Wyatt is. 
if I'm AEW, what I'd be like is, look, here's what we want you to do. We don't want to be the team, to your point, that is constantly um, just signing release WWE talent like, oh, we're, we're the company of WWE leftovers or has-beens. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on the creative team. And all these gimmicks that you keep coming up with, that you keep getting over, we want you to do that. But we want you to do it with a few of these pieces here, right? And then just really, because I think that's going to be his, not ju- not only was he a great ring general, but he was a, f- like his creativity was just fantastic. Like every single character he came up with got over in a weird way. They all got over. So what I'm saying is, it's like, okay, have this guy work with, work with uh who is the owner of AEW my bad uh Tony Khan okay Tony Khan that I had it correct in my head I got Nick and Tony mixed up there okay so Tony Khan have him work with Tony Khan inject a little bit of logic into everything have him come up with some cool gimmicks cuz if cuz I'm thinking if Dan, if Daniel Bryan and CM Punk are going to be your ultimate baby faces then you're gonna need some heels, and who could come up? I, I like, I look at Jungle Boy, and I'm like, this is kind of like you can't you can't do a heel turn if you're Jungle Boy, but I think Daniel, I, I think uh, Wyatt could come up with some cool shit that could make it make that dude a heel, like uh-huh. heel Jungle Boy or something. That's what I'm thinking, like creative creative bookings, like adding some realism to it. Maybe you add in some fact, like you can go into like breaking the fourth wall just a little bit. Like, hey, like your concerns, where it's like, hey, I was I was fighting for titles. Now I'm fighting on the mid card because this guy who hasn't fucking wrestled in seven years decides to come and take my spot. Like that kind of thing. Well, and 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 so I hope they have a plan. They don't have a plan. That, that's, that's all, well, <laughs> you know, then then it's just a guy, you know, it's just a billionaire flushing money down the toilet then, which is a shame because he's about to have a real workable talent roster with some actual name talent on it. And you can use that to draw a rating and elevate your, your growing talents, a Jungle Boy, a Darby Allen, those types yep. of people. Or you could just have them, you know, jerk off for a, a couple of years as they earn a paycheck and then, you know, retire. So we'll see. You know, it, it's going to be interesting how they're introduced, how they're positioned, um, and what exactly it is that they're having them do. Same thing with a Bray Wyatt. If you decide to bring a Bray Wyatt in, how does it make sense? How does his, you know, does he have a character? You know, you can't bring that that dark character in when you just introduce Malachi Black, right? So you gotta yeah. you gotta figure out how it all fits together. Yeah, I mean, it's booking. What somebody told me about pro wrestling booking, it's really like putting together a piece of the puzzle. And just sometimes you could be like a great piece, so you just don't fit in with everything else that's going on around you. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. I'm rooting for AEW, like Absolutely. despite the. <laughs> So I came up with a thumbnail for our last podcast. That was basically it had uh, the Nick Gage double finger, but I replaced the hands with pizzas. Yeah, and then uh, Disco Inferno ripped off our gimmick, <laughs> but it's okay. Disco's known for that. So, yep, Disco is known for that. Okay, so going into SmackDown. SmackDown. The opening promotion. Of the opening promo, Cena comes out, 
and he is, uh, you know, doing doing standard John Cena that we've been doing for 21 years. He actually had a pretty good comeback to the whole missionary thing where he's like, hey, if you've got somebody who can keep missionary interesting for 21 years, you should, you should keep them in your life. <laughs> uh, that was a pretty good comeback, but semi-decent. Um, I don't know. It... I was kind of bored throughout the whole thing. It felt like filler. It really didn't push the needle forward, except for maybe peeking, peeling back the curtain a little bit for the whole Baron Corbin thing. The whole Baron Corbin thing, to me, completely just unbelievable, just what he's doing. I don't find it that funny. I do appreciate a good ED joke, uh, (laughs) but I don't know. It just, when it's scripted, and unnatural it just doesn't hit me right so i wasn't i wasn't a too big of a fan of the intro i guess it kind of set up let people know what was happening the last week but sure. i don't know how do you how do you feel about wrestlers walk out then they play the intro then then they play 4 minutes of video then they cut back to the wrestler shouldn't it be you play the 4 minutes the wrestler walks out to the ring and you get this show on the freaking road well, one would think, but that isn't how WWE typically produces their programming these days. I think that you know when it, when it, this segment, uh, you know, to me, to me, it was okay. I, you know, the the John Cena promo kind of echoed the John Cena Rock promos from the very first John mm-hmm. Cena Rock. You know, the once in a lifetime until they had the rematch the following WrestleMania, uh, that time for the title. Um, but uh, there were a lot of echoes there with some of the biting comments, a little bit of the insider lingo. Like I kind of, I kind of dug that. Um, but Baron Corbin's involvement, I agree with you. It didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense with the story that they've been telling with Baron Corbin. It looked like they were like maybe heading towards making him a baby face, but now he comes and he does this. In my mind, you could have put any other heel on the roster in that spot and it would have been just fine. You know, Cena gives him the AA and then they move on. So for me, you know, the, the, it did what it was supposed to do. It, it, it advanced John Cena's part of the story. Um, but, again, you know, the Corbin involvement just didn't work for me. And, you know, it just makes me wonder what the plan is for Baron Corbin, which I have a fear about, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, that was my take on it. You know, I, I don't know what, it, you know, if you even want to grade this. Not really, because, <laughs> I mean, because it, it, here's the thing. It wasn't horrible. Like, it's not gym class F horrible. It was more like, as it was happening, I started playing a couple mobile games on my phone because I was like, all right, I get the point. So I started, like, watching other stuff, and it kind of just lost my interest. It was a little too long. And as I said, Cena is great when he's edited. When you could like, take the best of everything he says and cut it together, he's a freaking funny-ass actor. Cock blockers is proof of that. Um, but when, like, I don't know, his promos have always been really hit or miss with me, and it's always hit when he has that one big sinking, this made it worth it one-liner, and that just didn't occur this time. Baron just was out of place there. I don't believe his gimmick, and the contract signing... Oh my God! Do we wow. should we jump straight to the contract signing, or should we should we bounce around let's, a little let's, bit? Let's bounce. Let, let's let's take it. Let's take it slow. Let, you know, it, it's like you know, just let's let's ease on into that. How okay, do do that? ease on into it. Okay, let's ease on in. Let's go to a let's go to a match that I like then. Okay. I I loved uh, I loved the Rey Mysterio because even at forty six years old or however old Rey is, he's not going to give you a bad match. 
with the Usos, uh, with uh, one of the Uso brothers. Dom's in Dom's in his corner. Corner. Other Usos in the other corner. Great wrestling action so far. Great wrestling action. High spots that make sense. And the thing is, that style of wrestling works for Rey Mysterio because Rey's five foot six, and he would have to do this kind of acrobatic shit if he was to beat men significantly larger than him. So his style for him has always been very believable for me. Even though it's a little flashier and kind of cartoony at times, it works for me. Uh, Match, action was perfect. Pace was perfect. Uh, You know, the father-son thing, that's always cool to see. Um, And what really put this match over for me was the ending. Was, uh, you know, because the promo before with uh, Dom and Ray. I don't know. I think we need to like somebody needs to like have Jim Cornette teach these young talent how to like. All right, it's like Jim Cornette's rising star school of promos or whatever. Just teach these kids how to talk, right? Well, I mean, I mean, they have a guy on the roster right now. Just use Paul Heyman. But he can't do it with everybody. Oh, you want him to? Oh, like no, behind just, the scenes. Just teach him. Just teach him. Get him yeah. at the learning tree. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, I would say, you know, the the ending where he uses his feet to provide leverage for the pin, you know, because the Usos hit it on them twice, so now the babyface gets to cheat and get over because, hey, it's them giving you back one. I love the match. I thought it was, you know, it's not like an all-time great, but I will say it definitely set the tone. It did what it was supposed to do and kind of keeps the Usos' uh, uh, Mysterio conflict going a little longer. I hope we get to see it live at SummerSlam. It's going to be great. Uh, is half of Jack's. Okay, hold on. I need to edit your mic settings. Uh-oh. Hmm. I've been left alone. <laughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> and you're back. I thought you left me alone here for a minute. No, no, no. Basically, I was adjusting your microphone ah, settings. I was coming in too low, huh? Yeah, you were coming in a little too low. It's fine, okay. though. Okay, well, can, can, can you hear me now? Yeah, uh, Justin, can you hear him now? I'm typing in there the chat. Go. There we go. Yeah, I can hear you significantly better. Perfect. But then yet I project a lot, so. It's it's all good. It's all good. Better. got to be a little more animated. Hey! <laughs> but then, then your mic would be too high. <laughs> God damn. This is correct. Work with me here. Okay, yeah. So uh, going back to it, um, we're going to get to see the Mysterios and the Usos uh, go toe-to-toe. Uh, I'm looking forward to that match. Do you think it's going to be a straight, clean tag match, or do you think they're going to throw in a cage or some kind of gimmick? No, I, I agree. Well, first of all, I agree with everything that you said about the match. I think it's obvious we're heading back to the rematch of the Usos versus the Mysterios for the for the SmackDown tag titles at SummerSlam. Um, whether they throw some type of stipulation into it, you know, we'll see. But, you know, I agree, you know, that the segment did what it needed to do. I like the callback ending to the to what the Usos had done. I will also, every time... Every time this happens, I will point it out because this time it was especially egregious that in the pre-match promo, you got Ray there. You can see both of his eyeballs, you know, the <laughs> one that he lost. And the part about this that really made it ridiculous for me was that he was telling Dom that not that Dom needs to keep his eyes on the Usos. And I'm just like, 
come on, man. <laughs> it's right there. Like, come on. But oh. good. Glad to see that Ray regrew the eye. You know, it's good. But I'm, I'm looking forward to this match at SummerSlam. You know, it, like I said, the, the segment did what it was supposed to here. Awesome. Yeah, and then um, moving forward, what was a match? What was a match that you were meh about on this show? Yeah, on, on SmackDown. What was the what the was six, the match? The six man tag team match pissed me off. Oh, with Biggie. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was not good. I did not enjoy it. It. Um, I was well, the same way, and and uh, tell me what pissed you off about it, because me, I was kind of indifferent towards it, where I was on my phone, just like, I guess I'm going to play some Brick, <laughs> brick well, Crusher. Well, so, so Biggie just won the money in the bank, right? Yeah. So, we come back from commercial, and Biggie's being introduced, so I'm like, okay, we're, we're kicking off the six-man, and then, you know, I'm like, okay, they're introducing Biggie first, fine. Um, then they introduce Shinsuke Nakamura, King Nakamura, right? And then as Nakamura is coming to the ring, they're panning the camera, and I see, oh, Cesaro's already there. I'm like, okay, well, Cesaro didn't get a television entrance. And then they keep panning over, and then I see Ziggler, I see yeah. Rude, and then I see the Intercontinental Champion, <laughs> Apollo yes. Crews, yes. who did not get an entrance. That's so bullcrap. glad to see that the Intercontinental title's being disrespected. It's not being disrespected here. It's being represented appropriately because that is the title that I grew up on and you grew up on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it kills me to see it mistreated as such. Um, but, you know, obviously that match, you know, Nakamura gets the win, pins the Intercontinental Champion, which, you know, op- leads me to believe we're getting Nakamura versus Cruz for the title. That might be a pre-show title match, to be honest, um, because the the Intercontinental title's fallen so far. But, you know... Th- in terms of the intros, and then what are they doing with Big E? I mean, he just won Money in the Bank, and now he's just the middle guy introduced in a random six-man on SmackDown, not involved in any big story going into SummerSlam. Do you expect to see him you know, cash in during one of the title matches? No, it would be ridiculously out of place. Yeah. So I, I have no idea what they're doing with him. It seemed like a place filler match to, to advance the story for the Intercontinental title, which is fine, except it just leaves Biggie in the shuffle. I hated it, didn't like it. Yeah, for me, I mean, even like all that aside, even as a match, it just didn't do it for me. Um, well, yeah. Like the mat, the work itself, uh, the spots just didn't work for me. I really wasn't too, too interested. And then this is, it's probably, I'm sure other people enjoy it. I'm just not a fan of it. But I hate it where, okay, two dudes are fighting, one dude hits his finish. Okay, now this guy hits his finish. Okay, now this. And then it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it never dawns on any of these guys like, whoa, I just hit my, maybe I should look around and make sure I'm not going to get attacked real quick after I hit my move. But. Yeah, uh, ultimately for me, I don't. It didn't piss me off. It was just I was just very indifferent towards it. And then you got that dude on the outside with his little soldier outfit, the big dude with the soldier outfit, yeah, general commander as commander Aziz or commander D's nuts or something like that. I don't. Know. Wasn't he just feuding with Braun Strowman? Didn't they just have, try to well, do a big push for that guy with him, Shane McMahon? And well, he was on that Raw Underground that lasted a couple weeks where they were like doing bad play MMA fighting in yes. like some some basement somewhere. While yeah. having Shane McMahon do the one thing he's terrible yeah. at, which is announcing. <laughs> it's like, look, I love him as a wrestler, as a character. Like his his like 
his non-promo promos are really good. It's just Shane as an announcer always just annoyed the ever-living piss out of me just because he yells way too much. It doesn't feel natural, real. But I digress. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Hey, but, uh, I, hey I will, I, I'll tell you, I've been a Shane McMahon fan since Kurt Angle threw him through the plate glass at King of the Ring. I, uh, maybe, I was, I I was not to one-up you. I've been a fan of his since he feuded with X-Pac back in the day. Because it's like, because I I, kind of like the whole Mean Street Posse thing because it's like, okay, here's these freaking goofs who think they're gangsters. And then, like, it kind of, I liked it because it kind of put X-Pac over and it made him like, oh, he's kind of a badass against the average man. It's just he has trouble with the bigger guys here, right? So it was... It did what it was supposed to do, but well, I don't hey, even you know. You know, speaking of Kurt Angle, though, yes. this weekend was the 25th anniversary of him winning the gold medal at the at the '96 Olympics. Yes, it was with a with broken, a broken freaking, freaking neck. neck. <laughs> but I, I would have been I would have been remiss to not mention that when I when I incidentally worked in uh, Kurt Angle there. But yeah. Dude, I that was well. I remember the story. He tried to throw him through the plate glass once. Shane cracks his freaking head open. Then he has to do it again. Doesn't quite go it. And then I think that's what got Shane respect in the back because he finished the match. Um, and then those idiots, like his back was so sore that he had to actually put Shane on like one of those like uh, one of those rollers that grips use to like handle the heavy cable pushed him down the ref earl hebner whoever the ref was was trying to just get like a soft finish just to take it home then he ends up freaking putting getting landing the olympic slam from the top rope and finally ends it but jesus christ man that match put shane over it put kurt over it was just a great match all around yeah it was but um you know, getting back to what you originally asked me here, you asked me, you know, was there something I didn't like? And I said, I didn't like the six-man tag, right? Yeah. There was a match that I hated so much that I almost stopped watching the show. What match was that? That would be now the 24-7 championship match. That was going to be my hatred match. Oh, God. You know what? Why don't I let (laughs) you kick us off here on the 24-7 title match, and then I will fill in the blanks on anything that I feel you may omit, because I will go on an extended rant on this absolute steaming turd, uh, unless you save me here. Okay. Well, I will will go into this. Okay, so much how we said that the Intercontinental Championship – which is probably the second most coveted championship of all time in the World Wrestling Federation. Apollo Creed, Apollo, uh, Apollo, um, Apollo Cruz. I almost called him Apollo Creed. <laughs> Apollo Cruz. He wishes he was Apollo Creed. Oh, right about now, yes, yes. Apollo, I wish he was Apollo Creed. Apollo, Apollo Cruz, Intercontinental Champion. I didn't even know he was the Intercontinental Champion. Didn't have you the belt do. with him. Didn't have the belt with him. Didn't get an entrance. Didn't no, no at no point did the announcer say Apollo Cruz Intercontinental Champion. I hope they're not phasing this belt out, but it feels like it. Then last week, after we said our worst fucking match of the night was our our truth versus Reginald. Reginald gets an intro or gets a gets a promo gets a promo mm. interview. Gets about a three to four minute promo interview where they actually dig down deep into this thing. Then 
on top of that, then he goes out of the ring. And then, so he gets promo and interview, gets a full entrance with his back handsprings and his flippity flips, and out comes his, his surprise opponents, which are uh, Chad Gable, former Olympic wrestler, kind of a bad kind of a bad motherfucker oh, yeah. uh dude i mean i'm a fucking brown belt in jiu-jitsu that dude would fucking stretch me in a heartbeat uh mixed in who's the big guy he was with that otis and otis so two guys who look like they could just straight up just murder reginald Oogie. with very little <laughs> with very little effort and i like reggie reginald just oh. I, I like him just not – just you put the 24-hour title on anybody, and I'm probably going to like them significantly less. But anyways, uh, Chad hits a couple moves that he's supposed to hit on a guy who really is a gymnast and not really a wrestler. Um, then uh, somehow, some way, the, the, the match ends in disqualification. How does a 24-7 title match end in a DQ? Well, basically, Otis hit uh, hit uh, Reggie by accident, ah! but it's a 24-hour title. You could get it anywhere, so I, I don't know. But then Reginald does one of his backhand springs, does a little flippity flip over both guys, lands on his feet. Crowd is basically you could hear a you could hear a rat piss on cotton like they are trying to push this over and everybody's like this is bull. The fans who love cartoony WWE bullshit are like this is bullshit and then the guys like I'll win him over with some back handsprings. Then he does about ten back handsprings and guess what you hear? Rat pissing on cotton and people on their way to the fucking concession stands. Like that's that's what I feel like the twenty four seven title is. It's a time for people to go take a nice big dump, go get a popcorn, go get a soda. If time permits, maybe get a handy from the wife and then come back later. Like, that's that's what the 24 title match is to me. And I, it got two matches this week. Two. Both shows. I had to put up with it on so, both shows. But please, finish where I miss any gaps I miss, Steve. Please so, finish. So, so, so you bring up, so you bring up my, my, my biggest problem with this. So aside from the fact that, okay, they're announcing another 24-7 title match, SmackDown and Raw have separate world champions. They have yep. separate world women's champions. They have separate tag team champions. They have separate mid-card champions, the U.S. and the, and the Intercontinental. The one title that apparently can switch brands is this hubcap title, mm -hmm. the 24-7 title. So it's good to know that this title is apparently that important. The the transition from Red, Reginald to Reggie, nobody cares. Like you said, you could hear a pin drop in there. Nobody cares about his flips. No one cares about his character. They've given us nothing about this character other than he does flips and he has the 24-7 championship. Well, well whoopity-doo, right? And again... This is a title that has changed hands on a golf course. It's changed hands backstage. They have people running through matches. And Otis actually jumped Reginald, Reggie, whatever his name is, before the match even started, didn't get disqualified. But then, yep. he, get, but then he, interfe he interferes, and they end the match in a disqualification. And I'm just sitting there going, what the fuck did I just watch? This was all stupid. No one should care about it. They should discontinue that garbage title immediately. If, I, if we haven't given anything a grade yet, this was an F frickin' minus. 
Oh, bro, this was a gym class F for me. So the lowest. So, so you folks know the grading system. There's an F minus, which meant it was really, really, really bad. But gym class F is basically like uh, this match didn't even bother to wear gym clothes. Didn't even bother to show up in gym clothes. So showed up with a with a note from the doctor saying I got asthma. Exactly, hundred percent. When I definitely don't have asthma. I do not have fucking asthma. All right, so I have to talk about the thing. No, no, no. <laughs> that was bad, and that was that was cartoony. That was awful. Now I I have to go into the thing that pissed me off the most. And what I will preface this by saying, because there's some people who are watching right now who are not wrestling fans. They're probably like, guys, you know it's you know it's it's scripted, right? And I'm like, yes, I know it's scripted. But I need to suspend my belief. Like, I know that when I watch an action movie, there's no way that a 115-pound little dude is beating the crap out of fucking five 227-pound men at the same time. I know this. But there's certain things that make me suspend my belief. This... If I had if I had a weapon with me, I would have freaking if I had if if I had a large object in my hand, I would have thrown it through my freaking TV at this point, Steve. I have you, to talk about the contract signing. See, I, I automatically assumed you were talking about Seth Rollins' promo. Mm. All right, you can talk about the contract signing. <sighs> Seth Rollins' no, promo. I'm, I'm was kidding. Just I'm mad. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but let's right. talk about this 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 absolute just Jekyll and Hyde contract signing. Well, because first off, so here's here's what we think is going to happen. Roman Reigns uh, last week said no to Cena's challenge, and he's a heel. That's what he's supposed to do. Finn Balor comes back. He's still white hot from his time at NXT. Challenges Roman Reigns. Dude's over. He's got respect. You would say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I mean, Roman's going to fucking kill this guy, but sure, let's, you know, Finn's Finn's Finn. Let's do it. So... Him and Finn actually have some decent back and forth for a second there. Like, Roman Reigns is sort of being like a dick heel. Uh, Finn is kind of feeding off of it the way that Finn is supposed to with very minimal words. And I'm like, okay, where where's this landing? Like, I think Roman had a great line where he's like, I respect you, but you realize once you sign the name on that contract, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> and I love that shit. Then he got Heyman just being Heyman with the belt over his head. This had all the makings to be like, you know what? Reigns versus Finn? It's only going to last three minutes, but I can get down with this. I can get down with another Lashley-Kofi-style beatdown. You know, okay. Let's get let's get Roman over even more. Why not? That's all we got. Because uh, out comes Baron Corbin again. But this time he smashes... Finn Balor's head against the table, throws the contract out of the ring, and proceeds to just start beating up on Finn on Finn Balor. Then, Baron comes back in the ring, and he threatens to sign the contract. But look, oh no, just wait, here comes John Cena. John Cena comes in, beats the crap out of him, grabs the contract, pulls out a big sharpie, because I guess this is how you work, how contracts work now, Steve. And I, I Steve, I, I th- is this how contracts work? So he just writes Cena, C-E-N-A, and then signs his name directly underneath it. And I guess, hey, you got the contract, kid. I guess you get, you're going to SummerSlam, baby. 
Because I guess, I guess that's how the real world works. Like, if I want to own Microsoft, I don't have to work really, really hard, learn technology, climb my way up the ladder. Oh, no. All I need to do is just figure out when the, C- the next CEO is signing a contract, give him a fucking stone-cold stunner, and sign, <laughs> sign the contract. <laughs> Call back. So, anyways, that... That is what, like, completely insulted my intelligence all around. And I was like, guys, let me suspend my belief. If you're going to do this, you could do it another way. There was better ways to do this. I didn't like it. How would you feel about the contract signing? Uh, Well, have you ever seen the movie Full Metal Jacket? Yes, I have. So, you know, I'm I'm a Navy veteran. You're a Navy veteran. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> when I was in the Navy, we would watch Full Metal Jacket. Only we would watch the first half of Full Metal Jacket, the boot camp part of Full Metal Jacket, right? Yes. And then as soon as they as soon as Gomer Pyle shoots Arlie Army and then commits suicide and then they go to Vietnam, we would stop watching it. Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is because this contract signing from the entrance even with the AR Roman Reigns thing, okay, fine. But from all the way up until Baron Corbin came in, this was like knock it out of the park. I had this like an A plus. Yes. Like this was awesome. You know, like you, you know, you pointed out just Reigns being super smug and and even crapping a little bit on NXT and Finn Balor having the right comeback about yeah, well you know I'll go back to NXT with the Universal Title. I was like yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was just it was it was pitch perfect. And then it devolves into a comedy of just illogic and when you think about the ropes that they jumped through to get all the way around to where they started which was where they started at the end of money in the bank it was obvious hey we're getting scenes in roman reigns Cena and roman reigns they needed to do all this to get to there and then use this absolute illogic to get there and then <laughs> to even further insult our intelligence after the segment you have paul Heyman backstage saying you guys aren't serious, are you? Because this is stupid. <laughs> and then you have WWE officials going, well, you know, what we saw is two names on the contract. So as far as we're concerned, this is legit. And I'm just sitting there like, the fuck? Yeah. Like, I, I just don't get it. So so the problem with this, and, and, then, I'll, and then I'll turn it back over to you, is, is in my mind... This is a very stinky onion. It's got a lot of layers to it, right? So on yeah. the surface, you have this this rigmarole that they went through with <clears throat> when they could have just announced it. They could have announced it the first SmackDown afterwards. It's going to be John Cena challenging Roman Reigns for the Universal Title at SummerSlam. Boom, we're done. Instead, they decide to get Finn Balor involved. They get Baron Corbin involved, <clears throat> and all this nonsense, right? Why? Well, in my mind, <laughs> this is going two ways. One is bad, and the other I will not be able to live with. The first is is you're going to have the straight-up John Cena-Roman Reigns title match at SummerSlam and then something with Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin. That's what I think is going to happen as well. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. Oh, God, what and do you think is going to happen? this is my fear. This is my fear because by WWE logic, and I have to ask, Finn Balor just came back from NXT. He had one match with Sami Zayn, and then all of a sudden he's confronting the Universal Champion, right? They announced a match, and by their logic that they said on the screen, there were names on the contract. What other name is still on that contract? Finn Balor. Finn Balor. 
do they set this up to be a triple threat with Cena, Finn Bauer, and Roman Reigns so that Cena does not have to take the clean pin from Roman Reigns and instead they have Bauer pin up, get pinned? You know what, dude? You're making all kinds of sense right now because look at um, if you follow WWE creative, it's, it always leans the same way on the same card. Because right now, you already got Charlotte Flair, uh, Rhea, and then Nikki Ash. Mm-hmm. They're going to be doing their thing. So they're probably the same writing team are probably like, well, sh- why don't we just do the same thing here? And that's our thing, triple threat matches. And the problem with triple threat matches, they never, they never quite look right. They're not right. And you are correct here. They're going to make it so Cena doesn't have to get pinned and then Finn takes the pin. Because Finn, next week, he's going to have to address it, right? He's like, Unless he wants to look completely dickless, yeah. Because he's going to have to confront this. So they either give him Corbin... And then they make that the number one contender match, and then that they go is on. Not a consolation prize, right there. I understand that. So they, yeah, for me, that's another thing I hate about this segment. I think Finn Balor is above getting fucking buried like that with how much he's given to that company, and they buried him, like they just straight up buried him. They're like, yeah, they, first they shit on his time at NXT, and then they literally just took his title match straight from under the rug. So to your point, next next SmackDown, he's gonna have to address it. And what do you th- triple th- given their logic? They're like, well, there is another name on the contract. His contract was it's going to be a triple threat match. Now it'll be a good match because I mean they're like you know Finn's good in the ring, Roman's good in the ring, Cena's good in the ring, but I don't. Yeah. Um, so so here so here's what I'll tell you. I'm I'm going to play fantasy Booker for a moment. Okay. Right. I think. I, I could honestly see them going either way. Yeah. I think the problem with the way that the, that the matches are, are constructed at SummerSlam right now is is you know that Roman Reigns is beating John Cena. Yeah. And Roman Reigns is not going to lose the title right now in my mind until after he faces The Rock at some point. Yeah. Because he's facing The Rock at WrestleMania, right? Well, that's the rumor, right? Yeah. Now, now, now that the change here could be does Roman Reigns need to be the champion to face The Rock? No. I don't know, right? Which so, means which means that somebody's going to have to take the belt off of him. And I think at this point, cause, because honestly, they, they mentioned he's been champion for 333 days, and it, it took me a minute to realize, like, yeah, he won that after last SummerSlam, like, because of the pandemic and because of the Thunderdome, like it, 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 it didn't really occur to me that, wow, he's been champion for almost a year, right? Yeah. I think he's made, I think that the person who ultimately beats him is going to be made at this point. So the question, if I'm playing fantasy booker, if I throw Finn Bauer into the match, I know he's getting pinned and it's not even a question in my mind anymore. What if they announce the triple threat, right? Bauer comes out next week and he says, you know what? This is crap. My name is on the contract. I had the title match. I want to be included. And at SummerSlam, it's going to be Roman Reigns versus John Cena versus the Demon. <laughs> right? Nice. The, the Demon persona, right? That has yeah. not been defeated. Yep. Right? And now, when we're in the crowd, if, if that's the way that they go, I will seriously be sitting there going, who's going to win this match? I don't know. 
right? Because I could see them going any one of a number of ways. But if they just throw Finn Bauer as Finn Bauer into the match, I, I, the only way I see it going is, is Reigns is going to pin him or stack him like he did at WrestleMania or whatever. But it, the, 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 the lack of, the lack of, you know, ambiguity around the winner of these matches is the only real trouble spot for me for SummerSlam. But, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, if anything, it's got me interested in seeing next Friday in SmackDown to see how they recover from this because up in, you know, for, for better or for worse, I thought SmackDown overall was a pretty good show. Yeah. No, I agree. And I said, you know, if you compare it to the three shows, like all three together, the shows that we reviewed this week, Dynamite, Raw, and SmackDown, I thought SmackDown was probably the only one that at, that at least didn't leave me with a main event that didn't just piss down my mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think Raw is long, boring, and illogical. Yep. Dynamite is fun and illogical. And SmackDown is better than Raw and less illogical. But then, you know, as we talked about with this contract signing, they just they can't help themselves sometimes. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, the thing is, it's like last week, the the SmackDown before this, they gave us gold, bro. Gold. I'm talking like Heyman and Reigns dumping on Cena was probably some of the best promo work I've seen in a very long time. Like Heyman doing the do-do-do-do, just dumping on him and then like strutting up the aisle. Like I was like, that is probably the best 45 seconds of television I have seen in a long-ass time. Rance's promo on him. Up, up, until, up until Corbin interfered, this was even better. Yeah, oh, dude, when Roman Roman's best line was, listen, you sign that contract, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> See, I like Just so follow- you know. I like the follow-on comment to that, which was, you've earned this shot. You've earned the ass-whooping that you're about to get. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. And he's just, he's sitting back. I loved i loved him actually sitting at the head of the table. It was a nice touch, right? Yep. Like, I, I was like, yeah, you know. And, you know, it, it was it was a good segment. It was the first half of Full Metal Jacket. And then, yep. and then Baron that- Corbin came in looking like Gomer Pyle. He just, he just he came just in with that. all of our brains out. He just came in with that Agent Orange and took that thing straight to God. fucking Vietnam. God damn. God. Hey, one last thought on on SmackDown and as a whole, and then I'll I'll turn it back over to you. Here is is you know we've been talking amongst ourselves. WWE has too many belts, right? Yeah. Every match on this show had some sort of a champion in it. Yes, it did. Every single one. Yes, it did. Now, let's see. And you know what? You, 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 to your point, you're just going to have to, well, let's see, who, who was, yeah, you got to think about it, right? It's just, you know, it used to be that seeing the Intercontinental Champion on Raw or seeing the, the World Champion, it was like a special treat. You knew who they were. I mean, you know, like, I didn't even realize Apollo Crews was the Intercontinental Champion. They got too many belts. They and do. The prosecution on that rests for the, for the moment. All right, well, since we, we kind of, we, I wouldn't say we burned through SmackDown. I think we're just better at analyzing this stuff. It doesn't take us two hours to review a show anymore. Score us. We're getting better. But, yeah, my whole my whole thing with the show was with SmackDown, they had some great moments. They had some not-so-great moments. Um, I thought they I thought this SmackDown had the best main event out of the three. Like, if you were to compare all the main events, it's like, okay, look. You said you saw it coming. It was predictable. 
But at least you, it left you with something somewhat logical, which was like, okay, hey, look, our champion now has an opponent. They now have a heel. They now have a bad guy. We now have SummerSlam. We're going there, and we're not going to just make this a freaking triple threat match, right? We're not just going to be lazy booking with it. So that's what I liked about it. And also the work itself, I thought they gave a great match. Like, I thought it was a really good match. Some of the spots, that uh, overhead press that she had hit, mm-hmm. I was I, that that had me impressed. To the so, so, so at the risk of putting you on the spot here. Yeah. We, we we did all three hours of Raw, we did the two hours of Dynamite, and we did the two hours of SmackDown on this show. And you talked about the main events, right? Of the three shows that we watched this week, what was the best match in your opinion? The best match in my opinion? Ooh. I would say um, there wasn't too much action, but I thought Santana, Ortiz, that tag match was pretty good before the, the injury. Where, yeah. yeah, that was a great one. Um Ray, oh, it, Ray versus the Uso. That was a pretty good match. Good action. Logical. Um, trying to think. See, that's the thing. There's some. There's some forgettable ones. But I would see, say those but, are the two. Those are the two that stand out for me. See, for me, it was it was Sheamus and Damian Priest. It was the very first one we got. You know, in terms of the action that we saw, and and like I said at the time, just kind of wetting your appetite for what's to come. Setting up a SummerSlam title match. I thought it did everything it was supposed to do and then some, and I think that everything else that we saw on Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown was just varying degrees of almost good, if not for one or two things, and then just absolute Reggie-style dreck. Yeah, see, I didn't actually get to see that Sheamus match, because if you remember, I only got to catch the last two matches of Raw, so I probably feel inclined to agree with you there. I mean, for me, though, like... The Dom, the the Ray Uso, Ray versus Uso match. For me, it was like, okay, you at least had a story arc. The bad guys caught you with this move. Then after putting in great work, it's like, okay, we're gonna give it back to you. And then they got the win. You keep the heat going. I thought it did what it was supposed to do. Um, even though I have a feeling, who do you think? Who do you think wins? Uso's Uso's Mysterio's at uh, SummerSlam. I think the Usos retain. Yeah, I think now, I think we'll have to see how the story plays out in the next couple of weeks going up to SummerSlam, and we can certainly do you know SummerSlam predictions. I think we should since we'll be there. But in my mind, t- tossing it back to the Mysterios, I I, I don't know. Yeah. No. So, okay. So your favorite. So Sheamus was your favorite match. So so one other thing, if I could fantasy book just real quick. Yeah. Can we get the WWE to hire Nick Gage <laughs> to beat to to just throw Reggie through like three pieces of plate glass, take the hubcap title back to GCW, and then we never need to see it again. All right, That's so it. I'm sure Reggie is a good human being in real life. I'm sure uh, he is. So I don't wish that on him. What I will say is this. I want Nick Gage to just go full Nick Gage on the championship belt itself for 20 minutes if they did that that's how you book them you have them like beat it with the lights and then you realize it's like it's actually made out of aluminum or something like some shitty metal (laughs) and he's just stabbing the shit out of the belt it's 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 one of those easter chocolate covered coins it's actually just gold foil and milk chocolate underneath oh my god that is fantastic that is sensational okay so so down in an hour look at us Smackdown in an hour because there was Less like an hour. 
Yeah, because I figured with this podcast, I mean, it doesn't just have to be pro wrestling for the most part, but we wanted to make sure that we got the reviews done and out of the way. Um, All right, what would you say the overall letter grade would you give this week's SmackDown? I'd give it a C. C? Yeah. I I would I'm inclined to agree with you. Like there were certain things like the the rage quit moment I almost had with Baron Corbin, but there was enough <laughs> good stuff in there. Oh, Reggie and Baron Corbin almost destroyed this show, but there was enough good stuff in it that, you know, carried it on. I'm gonna give it a C also. Yeah, Baron Corbin's that hurting for money. I'll send him a couple hundred dollars to keep him off T V. Dude. <laughs> That's my thing. I'm like, dude, this this gimmick doesn't work because, A, you're on TV. You're working for the biggest wrestling promotion ever. You're not wearing, like, it's like, dude, you're not broke. Like, you're not, like, giving handies on the fucking, on Santa Monica Boulevard for $15 a pop type stuff. That would be a funny skit. Oh, that'd be a lot. That'd be Attitude Era type stuff right there. That's a little too much for Fox, but wouldn't that be funny? You know, he comes out from some cardboard box under a under a, you know, a a freeway overpass, and then he walks away, and then all of a sudden, some disheveled guy comes out with this grin on his face. Anyway, oh, that would be amazing. Anyway. That would be amazing. You know, that's fantasy booking. Maybe if we can bring ECW back, Heyman would have done that. <laughs> Heyman, Heyman would have done it. Uh, all right, cool. Yep. So SmackDown was a C. Are you are you paying attention to NBA free agency at all right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. I am a New York Knicks – I'm a long-suffering New York Knicks fan. Well, I mean, you guys are back in the playoffs. So, I mean, that's good. You know, you have some good prospects for the point guard position. Shout out Lonzo Ball, even though it's, he's close to being a Chicago Bull. Ooh. I don't I, – see, I know, that, I know that the Pelicans gave him the qualifying offer. Yeah, they gave him a $14 million qualifying offer, but it's looking like – the Chicago Bulls are going to be offering him four years, $84 million. I think the Knicks need to get in on that. Yeah, same here. Well, the, the thing is, the thing with Lonzo is he's a point guard that fits anywhere. It's like, hey, we need a three-point shooter. He shoots 38% on eight attempts a night. Cool. We need a facilitator. Okay, this kid's a walking triple-double. Same with his rebounding. Smart player. He's going to set everybody else up. He's not a locker room liability. There's a reason why. Even though people dump on him a lot, there's eight teams, historic teams, that are going after him right now. And I personally, I think whoever gets him is uh, going to be much smarter than uh, Mr. Rob Palenka over at the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, my God. Dude, okay. Your, your team, right? Your team construct already has two superstars. You're lacking perimeter defense and three-point shooting. What do they get? They get a uh, guy who plays exactly like LeBron James, except for way more bombastic. He can't shoot a three to save his life. And it's that's kind of like any announcer you hear. You watch any game of anybody, and you see them defending Russell Westbrook. They're just like, hey, just clog the lane, let him shoot the three, live with the results. That's how you defend the three with Russ. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Like, well, I mean, it, it, what they're thinking is, is they have a chance to bring in Russell Westbrook. So, you know, there's that. But I think it's much like you're seeing with all of these super teams that are being put together, right? In order to get that third superstar, you are trading away all of your depth, 
Mm -hmm. And in some cases, you're trading away all of your assets. Yeah. To obtain, you know, at least some low-priced position, you know, some role players, right? So, you know, as for how Russell Westbrook fits into into the Lakers, you know, we'll see. I heard, I heard Dwight Howard is expressing a desire to return to the Lakers. Well, Dwight at least uh, Dwight fulfills a role as, and Dwight was actually good in the 2020 season when it's like, hey. We need you to clog the lane, get rebounds. We don't need you to be the Dwight that you were 20, 10 years ago. We need you to be the Dwight you are right now. Give us 15 to 20 a night, clog the boards. And I think for what he was asked to do with the Lakers, the 2020 season, he played his role quite well. So I'd actually be okay with that. Um, I see like AD doesn't want to play the five. He doesn't want to bang with guys because he gets injured a lot, man. And if you're playing the five in the NBA and you're undersized, you're going to get your ass kicked night after night. And, you know, even though he's going to put 30 on the other team every night, like you're taking a beating just with the freaking Steven Adams of the world. You got the Jokic's of the world. You got like just those big boys who are just going to hammer you down low, like Bam out of bio, even the smaller, like Montrez Harrell guys who just play a little dirty. Like that's what you're signing up for. So I could totally see them being like, Hey, let's just get three centers to equal one center and then just let AD play the four. Well, I think, I think, you know, the, the, the only thing that the Westbrook trade really communicates to me is is that the Lakers, who, you know, they won the title last year, right, and they had the little – they had the early exit to the Suns this year. They recognize that their window to win another title with LeBron James is closing. You know, LeBron is. is, what, 36? He's 36, and right? he used to be the most durable player in the world, and, and he's, he's gotten injured. He's gotten banged up, like, multiple years in a row now. So, so, so they're doing what it takes. My only critique, and and hey, take it for what it's worth. You know, I'm not an NBA executive. I don't run the Lakers. But if I were the Lakers, you know, I would be analyzing why it is that my championship team got steamrolled by the Phoenix Suns, and then where I need to, you know, expend my assets to to shore up those positions. And I don't know if getting LeBron James light necessarily fixes their issues so the thing is and this is this has happened for years now they've said you know and you'll hear the analysts say they're like well lebron's getting older he wants to play off the ball here's the thing you can't like let's say uh you know you're into you're you're into striking right you're the striker i'm more of the grappler right it's like okay you've been throwing the same jab right low kick jab right low kick jab right low kick okay you've been fighting like as an outside fighter your whole life Okay, great. Now you're going to fight inside all the time. Now you're going to switch your style up and be Tyson. It's completely different. Like, you would have to, like, really dedicate yourself to it. And what history has gone to show is that the point guard on whatever team that LeBron is on ultimately just becomes a catch-and-shoot guy. And that's cool if you got a catch-and-shoot guy who can catch-and-shoot and you don't have that with Russ. Now, there is one move that I could see. And this would blow the NBA world up, but I was on the trade machine last night just to like just to play around, see what see what was what, and uh, I was like, all right, what could you get for Anthony Davis? Could you get Dame for Anthony Davis money? And you can. So, but my thing is, it's like you would have to. 
like Dame would have to ask and straight up plea with the Portland Trailblazers, hey, I want to be a Laker. Will you please send me there? And he's got the cachet in that city where they wouldn't fuck him. But the only trade I could see now is if you take – because if Westbrook becomes your primary ball handler and you got Dame Lillard to kick it out to and you got LeBron who's like open to playing more in the post and more as like a traditional four or three – that works. It's I don't know if it's a championship, but it works. Well, you know where where Dame is supposedly. The rumor is that he's expressed his number one trade desire. Is correct? Was it the Knicks? The Knicks. Oh, oh, that'd be amazing. Do you? How do you think he fits in with Julius Randle and those guys and RJ Barrett? I think, I think he fits in well. I think the problem is is every trade scenario that I've heard that for the Knicks to to obtain him basically involves like seven first round picks and in, in effect and it, I, it the price is way too steep yeah well that's because, that's uh, go ahead well i mean it's the same thing with the lakers how they got ad it's like yeah you won a championship but now they're going to be feeling the after effects of that until 2026 they don't have i don't they don't have another first round pick until 2027 or 2028 so it's like you are really gambling your future well, they're going all in now, right? I mean, yeah. they're, they're, I mean, if you so as a Lakers fan, if they win the championship this year and then again next year, yeah, okay. Or let's say they only win one in the next two years, so they either win this year coming or the net or the following year, right? And that's all they win for the remainder of LeBron James's tenure with the Lakers, and then they've screwed their their cap and they've screwed their draft their draft capital up so bad that they basically are sub 500 for the next six years until they get control of their draft picks again. Yeah. Are the two titles you won worth it? I think so, man, because you got 30 teams vying for the championship every year. And if you look at it, I mean, every decade, like the Lakers have won a championship, at least one in every decade. So they do uh, minus the 90s, uh, early 2000s, they had it. But uh, yeah, well, that's. Didn't they, win, didn't they win in '99? They did win '99. You're you're correct. So they oh, won no, no, one. No, 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 no. The San Antonio Spurs won in '99 because they beat the Knicks. Spurs won in '99, and that's then 2000. Right. I think that was when they got Shaq and they got the three peat. Yep. But yeah, that's uh, that that's the thing. So for me, it's worth it because you have to strike now. Like personally, I loved Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and it was and Lonzo Ball. It was fun seeing those guys develop in L.A. But L.A. is not the town to develop. That's that's it's a town to win. And, well, and uh, they and they gave up Pope in the in the trade for Westbrook, right? They gave up their shooting, man. Like, cause here's the thing about Kuzma: on nights that AD was hurt and he could actually be the sidekick, he had a couple 30, 40 point games this season. He's not a bad player. He just didn't fit with like those two guys because he didn't get enough minutes. And what people don't understand about Kuzma was the first two years. He was Lonzo Ball's, like, favorite target, which was why his numbers were so high because he was just, like, Lonzo was just dishing him the ball the first two years of his career, as was LeBron. Then AD comes in, and uh, Kuz is a volume scorer. So if he goes to a system where you give him, like, 15, 20 shots a night, he's going to do quite well for you. Um, but that's kind of who he is. He's not going to – he's not an efficient scorer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so they gave up KCP – they gave up a first-round pick, I, I guess, <laughs> way into the future, so maybe it's 2029 now. Um, 
and then they they gave up Coos, and then they gave up one extra piece. They didn't give up Talon Talon Horton Horton Tucker, and they didn't give up Alex Caruso. But I, who did they give up for? Let me Google that. Yeah, we need to look it up. I remember seeing that uh, Kuzma and, and Caldwell Pope were in the trade, and I know that there was a pick involved too. Yep, full details of Lakers Warriors trade going through. All right, so basically, oh Montrez Harrell. So basically, okay. they so the Lakers had the twenty-two pick. They gave it up. So this year, they gave away a twenty-twenty-four second-round pick, a twenty-twenty-eight second-round pick. Kuz, KCP, Montrez, Harrell, and a uh, first-round pick, which was from this year, for an aging Russell Westbrook, which, um, I mean, hey, dude, he's he's still a good player. He's still a walking triple-double, but it just doesn't fit with LeBron in my eyes unless there's a plan to move AD. Well, we'll, we'll see. I, I would find it hard to believe that they're going to move Davis after they gave up literally – like almost a piece of the franchise to, to obtain him from the Pelicans. And they just won a championship with him. So, like I said, I think I think that they see their window is closing. You know, they, they went from a title to a seven to a play in seven seed and then they got they got steamrolled by the Suns. You know, they, and I think the Suns expe- which is weird cuz you know, Chris Paul, you know, is, is he's 36 as well, but I think the Suns just exposed the Lakers as just being slow and and not good on defense. And I don't, and again, I don't think Westbrook solves their problems, but yeah. you have to admire them recognizing, hey, we still have LeBron James. Yeah. We, we have Antonio Davis. Let's load up with another superstar and let's, let's go for, you know, let's push all our chips in the middle of the table again. You know, when, when you switch back to the Knicks conversation, you know, they have tons of cap space. They have tons of picks. They've mm-hmm. got a young nucleus with, with, uh, with R.J. Barrett and, and Obi Topin and Emmanuel Quickly and, and those folks helping out, you know, uh, you know, the Derek Rose is going to well, be a free agent or is he going to come back? I think I think they'll bring him back. Yeah, right. Because I, I think I, he's a good veteran locker room presence, and plus he's a six man who just comes and gives you a lot of scoring off the bench. But I have to ask you as a Knicks fan, okay? So you can trade your future. But you get Dame Lillard this season, and you're going to get him for three seasons now because you, because you have him for extension. Or do you extend the $84 million for Lonzo Ball? Which one do you take? Well, I think – well, which one do if – you, if you're asking me do I prefer Damian Lillard or Lonzo Ball, I prefer Damian Lillard. However, yeah. what I would have to give up to get Lillard, whereas for Lonzo, all i got to give up is money. Yeah. You get Lonzo. You're – you know, you, you have to – the one thing that the playoffs told me was is you have to surround Julius Randle with more talent. Yeah. Right? He needs a bona fide superstar. Is Lonzo that superstar? No. Is Damian Lillard? Yes. But if you have to then trade R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, Emmanuel Quickly, and then you have to – you're going to – you got to pay Lillard, right? And then you got to give up at least three first-round picks from every trade scenario yep. that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Now you have a Lakers problem, which is where's your depth? Who 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 is who are uh, Damian Lillard and Julius Randle going to play with? Exactly. And so, then and and then you also got to remember who the hell is going to be on the defensive end of the floor on there as well. Well, and 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 here's the other thing: if Damian Lillard wants to be a New York Nick that badly, 
wait for him in free agency. Yeah. Like I, it, this is this is the Carmelo Anthony thing all over again. Camaro, Cam, Carmelo Anthony wants to be a Nick, wants to be a Nick, wants to be a Nick. Well, wait for him to be a wait for him to be a free agent at the end of the season. No, instead, the Knicks trade everything to get him. They had no depth, they had no picks, and all they got out of that entire run was that one, you know, 54 win season that they had where they made it into the second round of the playoffs and got beat. Yeah. You 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 have to. You know, for every critique we just made of the Lakers in getting Russell Westbrook, you you got to have the superstars, but you got to have actual talent around them. And just thinking that you're going to, you know, put together two or three superstars and then, you know, you're going to get the, you know, the the skeletal remains of Blake Griffin to agree to play for them for, you know, the mid-level exception. I just don't think that that's realistic, especially when you have now all these super teams out there. I mean, why would you go play with Julius Randle and Damian Lillard when I can go play with, you know, the three guys on the Nets? KD, Harden, right and across uh, town, right? freaking Kyrie, yeah. Or I can go to the Lakers, or I can go to, you know, Phoenix, you know, or the or the champion Milwaukee Bucks, right? So you, you got to have talent. If you trade away the entire, if you're the last thing I'll say is if you're the Knicks and you trade away the entire team to get Damian Lillard, you don't have the same team that made the four seed. No, I agree. So, so basically, for me, as I'm looking through the charts here, going for the top people. Oh, the Kawhi Leonard declined his player option. Did you see that? Yep. So did Chris Paul. Chris Paul declined. So I mean, if those guys become open, it's going to be very interesting. And what what I find is odd is everybody knows. That and and I'm just impressed by all 30 teams to be honest with you because very little has leaked because organizations aren't going to be like okay guys I know we have to make some ridiculously big decisions we're going to have our data all ready to go but we're not going to actually call anybody until uh, tomorrow at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and we're probably discussing you know hundreds of millions of dollar deals here. Or billions of dollars. Here's that's the thing. Tomorrow, billions of dollars <laughs> is gonna be negotiated, and everybody's just, I, I like, I and I and I kind of see where the the I, I I presume you heard about the leaked memo that happened in the with the NBA. No, what memo was that? So basically, it was from Adam Silver, and he was basically just telling all the other teams, it's like, look, I know you guys are talking to each other. Wow. Listen, we can't have like the perception be that we pick and choose when to um, uh, when to enforce our tampering rules. So keep leaks to a minimum. That's basically what he said. It's like, look, just go ahead. Yeah, the the whole tampering rules. But then the thing is, it's like, hey, I the team can't talk to you, but hey, you're on Team USA. James Harden's on Team USA. Maybe you guys can just chat it up, and uh, you could feel him out for us. <laughs> it's like, the, the tampering rule in the NBA is such a joke. It is. If I'm if I'm if I'm an executive working for Chicago, and I say, boy, you know that that Lonzo Ball, he's a heck of a player. I would I wouldn't mind having him play on my team. I'm going to get fined for tampering. Yeah. Meanwhile, these guys are on summer break actually planning you know how to build their super team you know 
D Wade and 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 uh, LeBron, LeBron and and Chris Bosh planning to go to the, to the Heat together back in twenty banana the banana boat <laughs> exactly. and and it's so ridiculous. We know that these that these guys are talking to each other. If you don't think that that executives are talking to players, then how do you explain the fact that players are agreeing to contracts literally two minutes after free agency opens? It's ridiculous. It's a farce. And instead of sending out memos that say, hey, don't make us look bad, here's an idea. Just don't have the stupid rule. I agree with that. I I would I would say that also just be well because I remember uh, Magic got fined a bunch of money to your point when he was just on like Jimmy Kimmel he said yeah you know Paul George wink wink exactly. wink wink like just joking like the because there because the, we know yeah well actually Steve and I I just Steve I just think that um you know it's like. Uh, I, I make lifelong choices within two minutes, especially when it involves having to move my potentially having to move my family cross country, sell houses or lease houses and do everything. I think two minutes is totally enough time to make those types of decisions. That's because two minutes is all it takes for you to sneak up behind the guy, hit him over the back with a, with a chair and then take his contract and sign your name on it, thereby getting you all of his fame and money. You know, bro, I can hit open jumpers, you know, so all I got to do is figure out when they're going to sign the next two-way contract. There you go, you see? <laughs> pay me, pay me, t- hey, it's like, I, I will gladly take some 18-year-old kid shot away from him if it means I get courtside seats to, s- here's the thing, everybody's like, oh, you're a bench player, it's like, dude, that guy's making $2.2 million a year to stay in excellent shape, and he gets front row seats to every freaking game, and he's friends with all the guys that everybody wants to be friends with. So I think I think last man on the bench, that's the contract I'm going to be stealing. So, you know, that that's funny. That, that actually brings up something, uh, you know, kind of related but kind of not. So you talk about the bench player, right? Job interview question. Yeah. Old boss of mine used to ask this question in job interviews, and I think it's such a great question. Would you rather be the star player on a losing team or be the last guy on the bench that never sees the court on a winning team? Damn, that's a good question. And there is no right or wrong answer. If you think about it, there's no right or wrong answer to the question. Yeah. But how somebody answers it kind of really gives you some insight into how they think about not only themselves, but the role that they play in the broader context of an organization. But your, your comment about, hey, I'll gladly sit on the bench just kind of jogged my memory about that because, you know, it, it's, it's a fascinating job interview question. It's a fascinating question just in general for, for me. I, I, I'm kind of a student of human nature in, in that way. So Yeah. No, what I was saying is, like, look, bro, so if I was, like, 6'10 and would not get completely embarrassed on the NBA court, yeah, yeah, man, I'd, I'd want to play. But then it's, like, I'm 6'2". I know I'm a like I'm a, I got a bigger frame, but like outside of hitting open jumpers, there's no way I'm gonna cover like a freaking Chris Paul or a fucking Russell Westbrook. So in my, in this situation, getting 2.5 million dollars to just chill, being a non-basketball player, not a bad deal. <laughs> like I said, all you got to do is just sign the contract, right? Like I know it says, you know, Chris so and so, but in sharp, big sharpie, it says. Jack Slammer right here. Sorry, so, Alex Caruso. Clearly it's my contract now. <laughs> it may say LeBron James in the type, but it in the blue Sharpie, it says Slammer. Like they, yeah. Oh, my God. 
Agent Orange, buddy. You can't, you called it best. That was the Agent Orange. I, I'm calling it Agent Orange. That was the Gomer pile that fucking destroyed. It was it was the full metal jacket of, of, of contract signings. It was so good, and then it was so bad. Yes, exactly. No, and that's the thing. I always shut off full metal. Actually, going back to that, I completely agree with you there. And I have some memories of that myself. And then it would always be like, Full attention when Full Metal Jacket was on up until the Vietnam stuff, and then I wouldn't care up until about the last 10 minutes where there's finally some action that really wasn't very much action. And then they sing the Mickey Mouse song, and I finish finish whatever I was homework I was doing, and I called it a day. That was. I used to, I used to love the, uh, the Arlie Ermy Full Metal Jacket soundboard. Those were amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I used to have so much fun with that. Oh, dude, the, the the one-liners that man had, he was brilliant. But he actually was a, a boot camp instructor, right? Like, he, was, yeah, he, he was really a, was a drill sergeant. I believe he was a gunnery sergeant. Yeah, he was a gunnery sergeant. I used to love Mail Call. Mail Call was great on History Channel. Did you check that one out? Yeah, back when History Channel was about, like, history. Yeah. Dude, every, every channel. Not as, not as bad as TLC, though, because if you remember, TLC used to be the learning channel. Yes. Now it's like my 650-pound tumor and, you know, say yes to the dress and 90-day fiancé. So. Dude, I was I was I always watch these weight loss shows and you know like for people who don't know, like I'm your coach for bodybuilding. I coach like 25 other people for fitness. And those shows just piss me off because they're so unrealistic. And it's like, hey, I know you're 700 pounds and you haven't exercised since grade school. So rather then, uh, then uh, using this as a teachable moment to show the American public how to responsibly lose weight. Uh, we're going to train you like a fucking Olympian right off the bat. Uh, and what we're not going to show you is these fucking paramedics who are just like waiting in disbelief, hoping you don't fucking die before the end of the camera. And then me as a fucking coach, I have to explain cuz weight loss is a big part of what I do. I have to explain to people why it's not a fucking good idea to lose 200 pounds in a month. I just have to t- I have to tell them that, right? Uh Then like uh I used as an example, did you see the uh the 1000 pound sisters? No, but I but I haven't seen it personally, but I've seen the commercials, yeah. Dude, that show is basically, hey, the, it's worse than Biggest Loser. This is suicide via food. It's like, hey, let's watch two people kill to eat themselves to death, literally. Like, uh, one episode, they weigh this lady, and she's 500 pounds. Then they weigh her again the next month, and she put on 57 pounds in a month to the point where, like, the 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 woman's husband was like, wow, you, like, have to make eating your literal job to do that because the amount of a caloric surplus you would need to go from 550 uh, to 607 is freaking ridiculous. So it's it, TLC is suicide via food. But there is one network that I do love, though. It's uh, it's got this program where uh, it love after lockdown. Have you seen that one? Oh, my God. I've seen the commercials for it. There's certain things that when I see the commercials, I'm like, under no circumstances can I watch that. That was one of them because I was like, what the hell? I did not watch the commercials. I did not watch the full show, but I did watch some of the clips because my massage therapist, who's also one of my clients, uh, she told me about this one dude. Uh, Basically, this girl gets out of prison 
and she's just spending this guy's money left and right, left and right, left and right. And then she's like, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved me. And she's not having sex with him. So this guy's paying a bunch of money for a vagina he's not going to get. And then the there's a, there's a point in the episode where he has to tell her, it's like, listen, I'm broke. I have no more money. Like She's like, but he, because he convinced her he was rich. So then she fucking spent all of his money leaves him in the most heartless way possible but it was like manipulatively heartless where it was just like no you know you lied to me i can't believe you would lie to me uh no i i gotta move on sorry so yeah she like took this poor bastard for like fifty seven thousand dollars worth of credit card debt Ugh. yeah there was a there was a similar show that i remember watching uh it was they one of them's in prison and then they get out of prison and then they're meeting up with these people that were like writing them when they were in prison. And yeah. It's same stuff, right? You know, it's like, you know, the, the guy shows up and he's like, you know, 65 years old and, you know, she's like, you know, 28 and just fresh out of the joint. And yep. he's thinking, he's thinking like, Oh yeah. And she's thinking like, okay, I got a mark here. Yep. You know, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable, and and you know just just to close out the thought on on what you were talking about with the with the eating stuff, you know, it it, the, it those those shows are you know it, not to sound old, but it, you know it's like exploitation, you know it, it's it it's, is it's the Jerry Springer of of TV shows in that, you know they they take advantage of these people to for the entertainment because they know they're going to relapse, and and to your point, never in any of the the training or the dieting is teaching these people how to to be sustainable with what it yeah. is that they're trying to do because to your point weight loss isn't about dropping 200 pounds in a month it's about dropping the 200 pounds over some period of time and then keeping it off yes exactly and that's why a lot of these people they have a tendency to just relapse because it's like it's the diet coke uh syndrome that i like to refer to you know uh, i'm gonna have a big mac you know, three large fries and a small Diet Coke. Yep, right. and the Diet Coke is magically going to disintegrate exactly. all the calories. And to piggyback off that, it's like, uh, I had a thought there for a second. It's, um, yeah, it's exploitation, and what they do is, here's like these people who probably didn't get a lot of positive attention, but now they see themselves on a billboard and now they see themselves getting all this glamour and fame. And they're like, well, if I stop getting big, if I stop eating, the cameras are going to go away. So now they're, it's like this newfound attention that they're into. And then what I, what I preach against yo-yo diets is because what people don't understand, it's like a, um, it's like a drug in itself. Right? So when you're when you're when you're doing a diet it's like there's it's, it it triggers something in your brain it's kind of similar to when you get a new hobby or something new like it's kind of pick it up set it down type mentality so you're in your mind you're like oh yeah i'm so excited i'm losing all this weight it's great it's great it's positivity so you're like it's like artificially manufacturing positivity until you get to a point where your body just says fuck this i'm done now if you've lived on like let's say 1200 calories for about three months and i promise you once you introduce that first bowl of cocoa puffs that second bowl is coming right after it and then that third bowl's coming and that fourth bowl's coming and uh that's why after uh the contest after our show that's why i told you i'm like hey man we're just gonna gradually increase calories 
do not just jump straight into a bulk like we, you gotta you gotta just grab onto the surplus now granted we did enjoy some cheeseburgers and we did have a weekend that uh went away i may have eaten a uh burger that had a layer of mashed potatoes on it <laughs> which was fantastic yes but, i do remember that yes but after that like it, but you and i we're pretty disciplined like after those two days we're like yeah i don't want to eat out again for a month <laughs> well because you know it's funny because after you after you eat clean like that for so long yeah it's good to have you know a burger you know a slice of pizza a beer but then you realize, like, you feel like crap afterwards because yeah. that food, it just, it just, ugh, it just brings you down. And then, and then you start to see the effects on your body and you're just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. So has, did it hit you? Cause it's hit me both shows before because you may not be the best looking person on that stage, but you are definitely the best looking version of yourself that you have ever okay. seen in that mirror because you're literally like trained for a physique competition to be judged based on, on your, based on your physique. And then what always got me was like, it wasn't a depression, but it was like, oh, this sucks moment when you go from, it's like full eight pack, <laughs> like sh- shredded up arms, all that to all of a sudden you go back and it's like yeah I still have abs but it's but then you it, start uh, to see that little bit of slight muffin top there and you're just like mm-hmm. exactly yep it hits I, I, you know it, for me and and again I'm not this is something I got into obviously later in life I've never done anything like it before and for my attitude towards it from the beginning has been um and and it's the same attitude I have with with martial arts or anything else it's I'm in competition against myself. Yeah. Right. Am I in competition against other people? Sure. If I go and I spar somebody and I lose, okay, well, did I do better than I did the last time? Did I learn something? You know, this last, you know, this, this first show I did, you know, it was like, okay, I can see, you know, I'm always comparing myself against myself. And now I get an opportunity to view myself against other people. And I say, okay, I see what I need to work on for the next time. Right. Yep. And that way I'm continuing to get better, you know, is it is it nice to win first place of course it is yeah but but i think if you going into that kind of a thing even and even competitions i do I, you do martial arts competition stuff you know do i want to win first place of course i do do i expect to win first place it depends right but but by and large i do, i try not to go in with an expectation that if i don't win first place then it was a failure yeah. So so for me, I have a similar approach, similar to when I was competing every other weekend for jiu-jitsu, because Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the skill level, even within the belt, is just, like, crazy. But for me, I was like, okay, you know, for this last month, I just drilled triangle chokes. So I want to hit some of these setups that I did. Can I hit these moves on people? Can I hit this sweep on somebody who doesn't want to be swept? Can I hit this live action against an opponent? who wants to fucking smash me. And if I hit that, I always felt like it was a victory in itself. Even if I got, even if I lost by points, ultimately it was like, okay, I got clearly what I'm drilling is working, but I still lost. I have something I could take to the bank, something I can go and I can work on later. Um, Cause my first show I was told like, Hey, you know, you weren't conditioned enough. So for the second show, I came in, I thought was, you know, I was way better conditioned than I was before. So I thought my conditioning was way better, but then they were like, Hey, your hamstrings and your calves suck. So now this way for this show, I, the next show I get to be like, okay, motherfuckers, does, do these suck? I gotta work legs. Oh man. Oh dude, I was working legs. The problem is it was, 
the the problem is it's like I was uh this is why I, I started wearing glasses. And what was weird was I've needed contacts and or and or glasses for the last ten years, and I didn't really realize it. But I would always get headaches in the gym, like mm-hmm. even like a third into my workouts. Now that I have my glasses and I can actually see, and I don't have like massive headaches, I can work out for like hours on end and not get tired. So these these are almost like a PED in themselves for their next show. Don't say that too loud. Don't say that too loud. Oh God, no. Uh, the only the only the qualm I have with the organization that we compete in was they were like, well, uh, if you you could do another org, but you have to provide proof that they did some kind of testing. And I'm like, what? It's like, well, don't you have confidence in your testing that mm-hmm. you'll catch something? I mean, they caught like eight or nine people off those polygraphs alone. Which is crazy. Yeah. Well, my, my thing is, it's like, okay, if you want to compete enhanced, you got the NPC, IFBB, tons of shows, and you could take as much gear as you want. And you get to go compete with those guys. Like, Natties, we're just, like, dudes who are just like, hey, we want to get into shape. Like, me, I was always a bodybuilding fan, but I came to the conclusion that I don't want to put drugs in my body, so I mm-hmm. compete naturally. I think – and there's no money in in it. So what I'm what I, what I see someone do that is I'm like, you're not I, – I could almost – if it, like if, let's say there was like a million dollar prize or a hundred thousand dollar prize or something like that, I could see the justification. It's like at least you're you're cheating for something. At this point, you're really just stealing somebody else's glory and somebody else's moment. If you if you go enhanced in a natural organization, well, it's it's like anything else, right? There, there are for us, it doesn't make any sense because there's no like real prize on the line. You know, not like yeah. money or or any kind of significant notoriety. But there are a class of people out there. They're they're subhuman scum. Yeah. That they they're like trophy hunters. Like they they just want the trophies. You know they they want the first. They don't care how they get it. They don't care. You know martial arts martial arts competitions are another good one. It's like that guy I know is not a white belt. Yeah. But he's beating up on all those white belts. What's up with that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's it, it's it's silly and it's nonsense and you know you're always going to be dealing with those people. The good thing about the competition again that, that that we're doing is that at least they they have some multiple levels of enforcement mechanisms and and it does seem to weed out the the folks that are cheating. Yeah. No, it's interesting there as well. And then, like, what um, training wise post like were you more motivated when you got to the gym after? your first show or was it something where you kind of wanted to take a break for a week or two and then get back into it? Well, you know, that with, with that, you know, I was glad to be out of the cycle, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that shredding phase going into it. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, getting to eat, eat food again. And then I found that, you know, I wanted to take a week off cause I said, you, you know, let the body reset. And then that first workout back in the gym, I was like, I was just dragging ass. And I'm like, what is going on? It's because you're not in that. And I found for a little while there, it was kind of hard to get back into that, that locked in kind of mentality. And I think that that's the way to do it because you know, the, the next show, at least that I'm going to do is going to be in February. I think that's the next show that you're doing as well. Yeah. And it's a long time between now and February to stay in that, that, that show prep kind of mentality. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right now I'm kind of just, I'm making sure that I'm going, I'm watching what I eat. 
I'm not being super anal retentive about it, but at the same time, I'm also keeping an eye on things and being like, okay, you know, need to need to ramp up the cardio a little bit. Yeah. And I'm still doing the martial arts training, you know, three days a week, three to four days a week, and that that helps with the cardio as well. So I'm just, you know, I'm just getting ready to, to I'm getting ready to get ready. Getting ready as soon to as start. You let me know ready. it's time to start getting serious, and then I'm gonna have to start. Uh, you know, making the people around me miserable again. It's going to be fantastic. Well, we are 11 days away, not from the full cut. That's when it starts to happen. So I'm enjoying a little bit of candy right now. I have already given up the fast food, but now it's now I'm going to have to give up candy as well. So, so for me... So, so hang on. So you say we're 11 days away. 11 days away from starting to starting to start. That's so, what, so that means that we're going to be starting at SummerSlam. Well, we'll start after SummerSlam. <laughs> we'll start after. Wait, SummerSlam's on the twentieth, right? It is. So we're like we're like twenty days away from from SummerSlam. Okay, we're three weeks away. Okay, well, well then the day after. Okay, we are twenty-two days away from starting. Okay. okay. So, yeah, because for me it's like I, I go through the same thing, and a lot of people do. It's it's completely normal. And what happens is when you have a show coming up. There's, there's a consequence right there. There's, oh, like, sure. self-accountability to where it's like, yeah, I do not want to look like a fucking slob on stage. So it's like, hey, I may not be the best guy up there, but I am definitely going to be the best version of myself that I can possibly be. So that natural consequence helps. And then also, bro, once you've done your first show, now you've seen the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, something you can't explain. You can't explain conditioning to people, the difference between seeing abs in your bathroom mirror and seeing abs on the stage. Like, there's, like, you could be, and, and what's what's different is, like, we were, we were walking through the Vegas hotel, and we were, like, the best in-shape people throughout there. So, and we didn't see very many of our competitors in there, so we're thinking people were like oh we belong here this is awesome i think we let all the horror movie people kind of convince uh, all the people that were there for the horror convention convince us it was like hey this isn't gonna be so bad i it wasn't bad i mean both of us we we both did well it oh, was yeah. just uh i oh that was the best moment though so we should do should i tell the i have to tell Please. the story then i have to tell the story so uh we had just got our our first coat of tans right so There was a horror convention at... Okay, so let's rewind here. I'm going to get better at my storytelling. So (laughs) we were at the Plaza Hotel uh, the weekend of May 15th, this past May. And uh, the bodybuilding show was at this theater in the Plaza, excellent venue, which was downstairs. On the second amazing venue, probably the best one I've been a part of so far. Uh, On the second floor was their convention center. And in the convention center was uh, a horror movie convention center that had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 people, a couple people, or somebody who played Jason Voorhees, uh, horror movie people. uh, Steve bought like a retro gaming system that had every single video game known to man on that thing. So it was awesome. Then there was dudes selling like nunchucks in there. People were dressed up like the Beetlejuice transform scene. It was it was wild. Then the tanning was uh, around the corner from the convention center, so you had to like walk through a bunch of like comic, like a bunch of the horror movie uh, patrons, the horror fest patrons, to get to tanning. We get our first coat of tanning there. 
goes well. I am in my Cobra Kai ultra tight <laughs> tank top. Child size medium. Child size medium. <laughs> Actually, it was a large. I was just I, I looked good this show. All right. Yes, you did. Yes, you it did. may have shrank. But it wasn't a fucking child size small. Anyways, so you and I are standing, lounging around, and of course there's reflective surfaces. And every time you get a tan, oh, everybody is just like, ah! like we were flexed up out of our minds. Then uh, this really tall, this because I'm six two, Steve is six four, so Steve's a tall dude. This big guy just walks up and he's like, hey you. Either either your tank top is too big or your muscle or wait your your muscles are too big or your tank top is too small, and then he just starts fucking with us. I don't know if he had the context that we were doing it, a bodybuilding it was, show. It was in a friendly way though. It wasn't it wasn't like he was being a dick. Oh yeah, he was completely jovial, completely friendly. Walked up and then, you know when you meet somebody, and this is how I describe it to people. You know that it factor you always hear like this guy's got charisma. Something about this guy was like, okay, you're not a normal person. Not like you're weird, but like you're like definitely, you got way more charisma than the average person. So, well, and and as he left, I said, you know, I I I know I've seen this guy before. Yeah, like you did. I know I've seen him around, but continue. So, uh, anyways, uh, Steve and I we compete valiantly. Steve gets. Uh, Steve did three divisions. I only did one because I had to compete in classic physique. Um, Steve did like every single division you could possibly do. Three, uh, two thirds, and a fifth place trophy. Not bad for a show. I got third place. Uh, one of the guys turned pro in my division. The guy who won. Uh, then there was another dude who like cut from 220 to 180. So of course he was gonna. Yeah. He was a big boy, and then me. And then you know I beat five other people, so that was a good that was a good time. Oh, yeah. uh, we go to Hash a Go Go. We enjoy some. I enjoy my cheeseburger that had a layer of mashed potatoes on it. I enjoy the most classiest of domestic beers, Bud Light. Bud Light, if you're watching and want to sponsor me, what up? <laughs> and then uh, then we then uh, we decide to take the day and then uh, our little brother joe slammer had to leave for the airport and we're like hey we're here for an extra two days you want to go check out that horror convention so we check out the horror convention we walk in we're, we're we're walking through everywhere seeing everybody then we see this big poster this big banner that has jason Voorhees. and which jason was it steve he was part six jason lives jason lives cj graham Big movie poster, C.J. Graham, and signing autographs is the older dude who was uh, the older big guy, and it was C.J. Graham, Jason Voorhees, who had given me crap in a fun, jovial way, and he remembered us. He kept talking, and then uh, he actually he was he was super cool. Remember, he was talking oh, he was to awesome. his assistant, and he was mm-hmm. just like, "Hey, remember that guy I told you about with the tank top? Here he is." <laughs> and then like we just started talking, messing around, and. Uh, Dude was talking about how he benches 400, which I believe. Yeah. I mean, it's freaking Jason. And this is what I always laugh at. Everybody's like, yeah, well, I could fight Jason. I'm like, I was looking at this dude, and I'm like, no, you ain't winning that fight. That guy with a machete, a chainsaw, a pickaxe, no, run. 
Well, and and you know he's in his he's in his sixties, right? Yeah. He, and but he's in shape. He you know he's got some injuries, but you know former army, you know yeah. just very proud of his veteran roots. You know I I started following him on Instagram after that, and just you know he's he is who he who he appeared to be at that show from everything yeah. that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Awesome guy, you know took time to talk to everyone. He, and before we went went to talk to him, he was you know talking to the little girl he's like hey can i hold you you know just yeah just a fun guy you know we ended up getting a, a signed hockey mask from him and some pictures you know that was that was super cool and he was a super cool guy and just you know the, arguably the second best jason who's who's your first jason who's the best jason well, i think i think i'm like most people you know kane hotter who was jason in seven eight nine and ten mm-hmm. you know he he's always you know in my opinion the best but you know, it's either him or Ted White who was the Jason in Part Four, of the final chapter. Yeah. And depending on you know when you rank the the Friday the Thirteenth movies, you know, for usually everyone's number one is either four or six. So you're yeah. talking about either Ted White or or C.J. Graham and as Jason in those movies. So, you know, they he, he was super cool. You know, I have nothing but good things to say about the whole experience and and getting to meet him and and just you know the the the, the banter that we had going back the day before and then the day after just was icing on the cake for me because I'm a I'm a big Friday the 13th fan you are most certainly are um so I have to ask this question now because I mean we got 12 more minutes left and I I have to know this because I have my favorite Friday the 13th death what is your favorite Friday the 13th death well you know the, the I think most people like the sleeping bag death in seven right? yeah I'm actually gonna go I'm actually gonna go. There's there's two that I really really like, and I know you asked me for my one, but I gotta give you the two, right? So the first is in part three, the 3D one. Yeah. So the guy is he's walking on his hands. Yep. He, oh, he I remember that one. And yeah. He goes into the ba- into the bathroom, and then he's coming back out, and when he comes back out, Jason's kind of hiding there, and then he just freaking chops this guy like right through his groin, like. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. Completely cuts him in half, and then a couple scenes later. You know, the girl leaves the room, and then she comes back, and she's reading a Fangoria magazine, and all of yep. a sudden it starts dripping blood, and she looks up, and you can see him, like, cut in half. That was Yes. Awesome. And then the other was, was part five, and, and that's the one where it's not really Jason. Spoiler alert. Hope I didn't yeah. ruin it for anybody. Jason's mother, right? No, no. This was just some guy, some ambulance driver whose kid got killed. Jason's mother oh. was part one. Right. Yes, that's correct. So this guy, these these two teenagers get done having sex in the woods, and then he goes to the stream. And while he's in the stream, the girl's laying there. Well, fake Jason comes up with these hedge clippers and puts it right through her eyes and then just pop like that. Ooh, yeah. He, he comes back, finds her, backs up into a tree, and that's when Jason, like, straps, puts his belt, like, around the tree around this guy's eyes and then uses the you know puts a, like a tourniquet just starts twisting and twisting and twisting Ooh. yeah i watch a lot of these movies <laughs> no that's I, I i we should do uh we should do a marathon when we're in vegas and just watch them and then maybe do like a live well like we can't stream well, the jason movies but we could do like a watch along with jason movies well I, I i hate to break this to you but not this friday but do you know what the following friday is uh, what is the following Friday? Friday the 13th? Friday, August 13th. Ooh. We could totally do a watch-along. And in addition to that, I just got an email because I am on the, the Crystal Lake tour because the where the original movie was shot is mm-hmm. here in New Jersey where I'm at. And I'm I just they, they send out periodically to do tours and overnights. 
Ooh. you can camp out there overnight and then they usually bring in like some star of the series like they they brought in like adrian king who was the survivor in the first one and so it's a super cool experience i i highly recommend it um i'm not going to be able to do it this coming friday the 13th it's a little too short notice plus i'm sure the reception isn't that good out in the woods we don't want to do the live stream when i'm actually Probably, out on yeah. Camp crystal lake going like hey the service is kind of choppy <laughs> but uh yeah absolutely i'm always down for a friday the 13th watch along if you know uh, you, you name the place. I'm there, man. All right. I, I think you'll know what my favorite death is, but I have to I have to lay the groundwork oh, I, for I people. I think I know which one yours is. So this guy, and this kind of goes into when some people are like, oh, yeah, you could just fight Jason, right? So mm -hmm. this uh, Julius, the guy who's a really good boxer, who's established as a good boxer, throws about 600 punches at Jason so, and gets so him just – oh, wait. Jason takes Manhattan. You gotta, Jason you takes Manhattan. In the movie. Jason okay. Part eight. Jason Part 8, Jason takes Manhattan, Julius tries to escape, but he, he he's running from Jason, and he ends up on a rooftop alone with Jason. He, Jason's on one end, he's on the other, and he's all like, now's my chance, alright, keep the combos going. And then he's like giving himself a little pep talk, and then he just starts throwing, boom, 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 boom. And then he punches himself out to the point where he's starting to just hit air, and he's tired, and he literally gasses himself out, and his hands are all bloody because he was punching the hockey mask. And he go keep in mind, he's punched Jason like probably about 90 times here, and then he's like, take your best shot, mother. And then before he could finish it, Jason, one punch, upcuts him, fucking knocks his head clean off, and it rolls right into a fucking trash can. And then it slammed shut. Boom. And it slammed shut. And I was like, it was a little cartoony, but that is why you don't fight so Jason. It, it was, was so amazing. Good, it, was it was fucking so fantastic. And then, uh, so yeah, we got to talk a little bit about Jason. We did our Friday yeah. SmackDown review. You know, I'm going to start talking more about fitness stuff on here mm -hmm. as well. Um, but uh, I think that was a great show. I think we should give away because... We're on a podcast now. Like, we're on everywhere in the podcast, so we need to tell people where to follow us and where they can see us live. So I'm going to give some plugs here for that. So if you want to catch us live, you need to follow us on Twitch at the Slammer Bros. If you want to catch a live video replay where you can see my stupid face and Steve looking all handsome over there while he says shit that's way fucking more intelligent than I do, you need to go to YouTube and follow the Slammer Bros. The Slammer Bros podcast, you'll see us both in like Mario hats, the same thing. It's it's freaking great. Uh, then, Steve, where can these people follow you on the Instagram? On the Instagram, it's Steve Slammer. It's very easy. Steve Slammer. Well, since I am a fitness coach, you can follow me on the gram at Jack underscore Slammer underscore fitness. Yeah, it's me on stage, but you know what? I worked hard for that body, so you're all going to look at it. And also, you know what I ordered? I got it from Shutterfly, and it's to make anybody who comes to my office know it's my office. I ordered a 30 by 20 print of, uh, of my abs and quad <laughs> picture during my, uh, during my routine. I'm going to put that up. And, it's, uh, and then I also ordered a picture of me and my daughters together. But uh, it's not as big <laughs> as there, that picture. Are their abs as defined as yours? They will be. Holy crap. Like my uh, – so before I let people go, like Lexi today 
just started running around, running around, and my mother-in-law oh, tried to catch her. And I'm like, no, Mom, stop. Let her run it out. Like, she's just running laps. I'm like, she's going to get tired and pass out early tonight. This is a win-win. you got to just sit back and let the let the energy train roll. But anyways, I digress. It was a great show. I thought it was excellent. Thank you once again, Steve, for this magical journey. And thank you, folks, for watching at home. Follow us on Twitch and at YouTube. And we'll see you next time.